0: Speculative Fiction. Terra Incognita Speculative Fiction. Welcome to the Terra Incognita Speculative Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Stevenson. Put simply, Terra Incognita is the best Australian speculative fiction told by the authors who created it. The programme is podcast monthly, and this month's show features multiple award-winning author, Sean Williams. Sean is a prodigious writer with an output any other serious author would be proud of. His short stories and novels have been published around the world, and please visit tisf.com.au for information and links to Sean's website and many works. The story he's reading for TISF, A Longing for the Dark, set in his geodesica universe, charts the progress of an interstellar rebellion for a humanity whose rulers are no longer merely human.
1: The Civil War began two days early, on the 4th of January, according to the old Seoul calendar. After 92 years of preparation, Palmer Horsfall surprised herself by being taken off guard, although she could understand why the sudden change of plans had come about. Word had only just reached her of a third catastrophe in a system called Familiar, 200 light-years away. The double whammy. That Sol had found another exit to the space-bending artefact called Geodesica, and destroyed another colony in order to retain control of it, pushed the exarch of that distant world over the edge. She jumped the gun by declaring independence early, in protest at the continuing and morally abhorrent war against humanity, conducted by Sol and its instruments. Horseful wondered if she was trying to take credit for what would inevitably follow, if so... She soon regretted it, as a stream of military viruses spewed forth from her FTL tangler and shut down her colony's communication system. Palmer cells nearby reported a surge of EMPs and then also fell silent. No one knew what exactly had happened to the colony, but the silence was an unhappy one. As a result of the incident, security levels went to red all across the Arc Circuit. Those on the side of the rebellion found themselves facing unexpected challenges and barriers where previously there had been none. Hastily recalculated timetables initially suggested that the start should be delayed, only sheer bloody-mindedness and an awful amount of last-minute work enabled the plan to go ahead. 104 years had passed since Sublime, the first colony system to encounter Geodesica had died. It was finally time for payback. Horseful watched from the rear of the attack fleet where Jane Elderton, her principal conspirator, had insisted she remain during the battle. No one knew how long the conflict would last. It could be moments, or it could be hours. Everything depended on how Adriel Bernard, the Exarch of Prime 1, reacted. Neither Parma nor Exarch, but something in between. Horsfall's body had been completely integrated with her old cell and incorporated into the vastly distributed array of stations, missiles, drones and dust converging on Prime 1. The planet was white with clouds, its dense atmosphere a relic of a greenhouse effect, gradually brought under control by first-wave terraforming. Three orbital towers trisected the equator, topped with bristling docking arms and habitats. Horseful thought of sublime, sole-habitable planet, one that had resembled this one until catastrophe stripped it back to atoms. What would it have looked like after an extra century of habitation? What had the Exarchate and humanity lost? The ships of the attack fleet coasted in dark mode, hiding their profiles and vectors until the very last moment. In line with the plan, every reactionless thruster burned at the same moment all across the system. Munitions shunted along new trajectories. Hollow asteroids spun up to cause maximum damage. Forerunner darts erected space-warping shields to protect their payloads. Reservoirs opened, spraying the vacuum with clouds of ice crystals. At speed, a single molecule packed a serious punch. Just one high-energy impact could knock out delicate nanocircuits at a critical time. Isaac DeAngelis and Jane Elderton, exarchs of dead systems out for revenge, sought every opportunity and exploited it to the limit. Accompanying the rebel fleet was a contingent of Parma cells under the auspices of the Jebel al-Khamar. Some had recently withdrawn from Prime 1, others had come from as far as Eliza and FAD4 to be present at this moment in history. Although technically independent units, the negotiator select had given horsefall authority over the Palmer's deployment. Sometimes it amazed her to think of how far she had come. After Sublime, she'd been a grieving victim of circumstance. Now she flew at the heart of a navy, the first true space navy humanity had ever known. Elderton was with her, a lost mind bound to her flesh like a ghost to a chalk outline. DeAngelis brought up the rear for the moment. The war machine he had built hadn't even begun decelerating and wouldn't unless Bernard capitulated fully. Travelling at a substantial fraction of light, it lurked in the dark, full of predatory potential, impatiently waiting its turn. The phrase opening salvo came over the com. Prime 1 traffic control hailing incoming hostiles, said a defiant AI. You will identify yourselves and state your intentions or face the most severe consequences. Everyone on both sides knew it was a bluff. The invading force was too extensive for the civilian colony to repel, and its position at the top of the gravity well gave it an unassailable advantage. On the other hand, crushing the colony outright wasn't the plan. Gaining concession to the new authority without civilian casualties had to be the priority or else the rebellion would be no better than the forces it was fighting. Adriel, this is Jane Elderton. The reply came from inside Palmer Hall School's body, but was intended one exarch to another. I've been delegated temporary spokesperson of the Ark Circuit Alliance. I want you to stand down before any blood is shed. The what alliance? Adriel Bernard immediately responded. It's a temporary name. In response to grave and persistent crimes against humanity, we have declared the Ark Circuit free of soul and its influence. Palmers, Exarchs and Naturals are fighting together to establish an independent territory, one that will be governed as we see fit on our terms. We accept that this amounts to treason against those who created us. We do not accept that we owe our creators any fealty any longer, or that their appalling acts against us can ever be justified. Adriel Bernard's laugh was rough-edged with alarm. This is insane. You can't expect to succeed here or elsewhere. We'll succeed. Don't you worry about that. Think only of your colony and its well-being. We have no wish to supplant you. Our targeting priorities are your Tangler and anything that's emerged from it in the last week. If you don't want to surrender outright, at least give us those and we'll negotiate. The Tangler? The Archon will take countermeasures if it hasn't already. Elderton's tone shifted to one more placating than confrontational. No one truly knew how the Entity currently occupying the crown of humanity's evolutionary tree would react but it was bound to be decisive and swift. Please, Adriel, I don't want to fight you. We can make this happen. It'll be easier if we all work together. Of course it would be, but that doesn't make it right. Might doesn't make right. That's exactly why we're fighting. The conversation took place over open channels. Everyone in the system and beyond wore witness to it. The fleet expended as much energy on FTL messaging as on armaments and defence. Horsfall agreed with the decision wholeheartedly. This wasn't a war to be fought in secret. It involved everyone. "'Why here?' asked Bernard, almost plaintively. "'Not just here, Adriel,' Elderton replied. "'Everywhere.' A shower of projectiles twinkled as they fell on Prime One's outermost moon. "'To all the citizens of Prime One,' Elderton's voice boomed out over the channels, "'we say this. You are not our enemies. On your behalf, and in the name of freedom, we gladly risk our lives. Death does not frighten us, for we know our cause is just.' We ask but one thing of you, to spare us the tragedy of fighting you, our fellow citizens of the Ark Circuit. Lay down your arms, allow us the measures we require, give us the time to prove our point. We do not seek to sweep aside your exarch and the ways of life you treasure. That is exactly what we are fighting for. When Sol could destroy us on a whim, and has willingly done so to whole colonies three times now, who would not join us? To the Ark Circuit and beyond we say, Become our allies and fight with us. As one, we will prevail. Apart, we are nothing but chaff. Elderton waited a moment for a reply. Horsful felt her tension as a physical ache. They had become so entangled down the century that each knew the other's moods as well as their own. Horsful knew when Elderton burned and hated and grieved. Elderton, in turn, experienced Horsful's rage and hate and despair. A century of planning fueled the darkest of emotions. Only rarely did the light shine through. A new star dawned, just light minutes from Prime One, and a feeling of joy spread through Elderton's mind. We are not playing games, said Isaac DeAngelis, riding the wings of a vast and fiery bird of prey, its weapon arms extended and clawed, almost bat-like, but shining in all frequencies, a negative image of a bat that had taken a century to grow to its full size. Adriel, this is your last chance. The Exarch didn't reply. Instead, a high-frequency scream tore through the airwaves, one designed to play havoc with every operating system the Rebellion had carefully sent into war. Horsful flinched at the unearthly sound of it. The density of data it carried appalled her. Whole terabytes of persuasion and incision crammed into microseconds. If it continued, the Dark only knew what would happen. Palmer cells would self-destruct. Weapons would turn on each other. Exarchs would go mad. The sound shut off in mid-babel as automatic defence algorithms kicked in. Recognising the attempted override for what it was, the fleet went comms silent. FTL died the same moment. Okay, it's happened, said Horsefall. You said it might, and it did. These are desperate times, said Elderton. No one knows that better than the Archon and its cronies in the system. Do you think we can salvage anything? Time will tell. I'm sorry, my friend, but this is only the beginning. The end is a long way off yet. Horsville felt thrust surge through her section of the fleet. Explosions pockmarked bases all across the system, and she tried to concentrate on them rather than the hundreds of entanglement repeater stations forming the foundation of the Exarchate's communications network. Words could harm the rebellion, so the network had to go. It was just the first of many sacrifices, she was sure. In fast time, an ocean wave crashing on a shore looked frozen in place, each spittle of spray moving by minute increments, the body of the wave itself as solid-seeming as marble. In slow time, however, the surface of the sea became a blur that also seemed solid, as waves advanced and retreated, crashing in an unceasing progression, in the same way that a tabletop looked solid despite its myriad fast-moving molecules. Horseful resisted the impulse to retreat into slow time as the battle progressed, She needed to see the consequences of her actions. Every individual death, every habitat or vessel destroyed, every advantage lost that had been hard won from the depths of the dark, she wanted to feel it all. Her shoulders were broad, and they had had years to strengthen. She would bear the weight, not shirk it. But it was hard. She had to remind herself that sublime, bedlam, and familiar were the true reasons for fighting, not her sister, who had died in the sublime catastrophe. But justice for all the exarchate citizens in these dead systems was the goal, not retribution. She watched as a Palmer contingent fell foul of an arcane weapon they discovered boiling out of Prime One's largest orbital counterweight docking station. A shimmering, translucent mass sprouting twisted, dagger-sharp magnetic field lines it whipped and snapped through even the toughest of shields, stripping electrons from atoms and breaking molecular bonds all through the cell components.' The rebel contingent fell apart like Christmas decorations hit by a cricket bat. Not one component of Scheveningen and Alcazarcavir survived. She watched as rubble fell from another orbital tower, tracing black and red lines across the cloudscape below. Ghastly domes bloomed where they landed, uglier than boils. She watched as citizens rebelled against the Exarch and dropped their defences ahead of the rebellion's arrival. She watched as other defenders, too proud or fearful to accept the truth, opened their airlocks and tasted vacuum rather than defeat. She watched as Isaac DeAngelis swept through the system and brushed away every last possibility of resistance. The Angel of Death, someone had called his awful creation, and not without reason. It blazed with the fire of stars but cradled the darkness of their deaths within. The web of singularities he commanded could destroy whole worlds. It dragged space-time after it, like a torn shroud. Prime One fell as D'Angelus matched orbits with the cloudy world. Adriel Bernard surrendered control of her Tangler to the Alliance, her system with it, rather than see her people destroyed by such overwhelming firepower. Whether DeAngelus would have gone so far as to use his weapon to its full capacity, Horsefall was glad not to know. Those unwilling to submit, or perhaps nervous of what Sol might send in response, Elderton rounded up and confined to one of the orbital stations. Adriel Bernard was not supplanted. "'We need all able hands,' Elderton said in another general broadcast, "'to build what has been damaged and to replace what has been destroyed. "'This is your home. "'Our mission is not to take it from you, but to return it to you. "'Until now, your sovereignty has been a lie. "'Now it is truth. "'Take this opportunity and make of it what you will.'" Four hundred and thirteen people are dead, said Bernard. How do you suggest I replace them? You can't, just as we can't replace the citizens of Sublime, Bedlam and Familiar. All you can do is honour them and stand firm to prevent such atrocities from ever happening again. D'Angelo stayed long enough to convince Prime One that it had made the right choice and then sped elsewhere. The next system he had on his target list was Little Red, not technically an arc circuit mainstay, but another old system closely tied to Sol. Were that tie severed, the Arc Circuit would be effectively isolated. That would hurt Sol. The Arc Circuit was its best route out of the local bubble, either by vacuum-reliant Palmer drives or two of the three known geodesica entrances. Horsful threw herself into her work, which consisted of reassembling her body and moving among the populace, preaching her message to any who would listen. Elderton went with her, as always, a silent observer and occasional saviour. Twice Horsful was shot at, and once the habitat she visited was deliberately holed. She survived all three attacks by virtue of the Exarch within. Rumours spread about Horseful that she was indestructible, that she alone had survived the catastrophe in Sublime, that not even the Archon could kill her. She didn't encourage them, but the more she denied them, the more they stuck. The children of the colony called her Awful Horseful, and she couldn't stop that either. Her intensity made people uncomfortable. Her promises that the war was only beginning weren't popular. When the reapers came, no one questioned her popularity. Then, they rallied behind her to resist Sol's deathly ancient warhorses. For the second time in a year, the system burned, but this time the attack was indiscriminate. Grim weapons laid waste to anything that stood against the Archon's retribution. Relentless broadcast warned of worse to come if they didn't immediately surrender. The attack was genuine, but the weapons were outdated. Once Reapers had struck fear into the hearts of colonists, now the Alliance's new toys outmatched them. Given time and preparation, miracles were possible. Still, 4,000 people died and many more lost their homes. The Palmer contingent mourned half its numbers before the last of the Reapers fell, destroyed by the Alliance in cooperation with the people of Prime One. Adriel Bernard called for a cautious celebration. Even she seemed pleased that, thus far, independence was holding. But all four-horseful didn't toast with the rest – Worse could still be on its way. With the FTL networks down, there was no way of knowing. Perhaps, she confided to Jane Elderton one dark hour, where all that's left. Everything else went cockeyed and Sol is closing in on us right now. It'd be years before we heard the bad news by Palmer or Mazer, and by then we'd likely be nothing but a cinder and a memory. Nice try, but thanks for nothing. Have faith, said her exarch hitchhiker. Hold firm. Don't fall to the battle within when the battle without is going so firmly in our favour. I've held on this long, haven't I? It's a whole different fight now. Horsfall conceded that much. She'd thought it would be easier when the killing started, but it wasn't. The enemy lines weren't so clear-cut on the battlefield. The way the rules kept changing didn't help either. Life had been much simpler when they had been slinking from system to system, afraid of everyone. An uninterrupted equatorial sea girdled Prime One like a belt studded with endless chains of volcanoes and small islands, the latter covered in rich rainforest seeded by first-wave colonists. Slender bridges looping and curling over the sea in graceful golden arcs linked to the islands, but many of Prime One's citizens preferred to travel by ship or dirigible, following air and water currents around the planet's bulging west. Horseful took a berth on an ever-wandering triple-hulled boat, determined to see as much as she could before duty called her elsewhere. Blue Charlotte travelled perpetually west into the setting sun, and Horseful, like many of its passengers, celebrated each night on the gleaming white foredeck, watching as the system's primary slid through gossamer clouds behind the bulge of the world. "'This is a sectarian conflict,' opined a large man, holding a stein of thick-foamed beer. Either ignorant or not caring that awful Horseful was in his audience, he held forth with gusto, foamily splashing when he gestured too hard. It's obvious. The human species has diversified rapidly in recent centuries. All that's held us together, really, is that word. Human. But what does it mean now? Is it us, the colonists, or the Exarchs? Is it Sol and the Mayans who live there now? There's no clear-cut definition, so we fight to clarify it. I thought it was about territory, risked a slender redhead leaning on a rail, her attention diverted from bird-like creatures travelling in a rippling flock across the sunset. Space is the one thing we'll never be short of out here, the burly man issued a mocking noise. And we don't fight over religion or money any more. Identity is the only commodity left that we'll kill for. The right to call ourselves human is the last remaining bounty. Who then has that right? asked Horsfall. Who decides what makes us human or not? The victors said an onlooker. They write the history books. They create the definitions. Nonsense. A heavy splatter of beer struck the deck as the pontificator turned. We know what human is. We have 60,000 years of evidence to back us up. Naturals are the rightful heirs of the title. So it's a war of race, said Horsfall, irritated that this pompous ass had ruined her enjoyment of the sunset. Is that what you're telling us? That's what it risks becoming. Natural versus Palmer versus Exarch versus Archon. And why stop there? There must be something about the Archon. I suspect you're right, she said, and something above that, and something above that, and so on, ad infinitum. Naturals are at the bottom of a pyramid, stretching way up out of our sight. Who are we to claim that the apex is not worthy of its origins? I'm not saying that. The proselytizer seemed slightly nonplussed by her response. I'm just saying they're not human, they have no claim over the word. Do the palmers like me, who fight alongside you, do the exarchs, do those who diverge in other ways from the natural code, are they to be disowned as soon as you no longer need them? Obviously not. "'It's not obvious at all, friend. "'For you, this war is about setting boundaries around who and what is human. "'I say that it's about ensuring a base level of humanity, "'no matter who claims what title. "'The way we behave is more important than our genetic or technological makeup. "'I don't care if a mind is built from genes or scrap silicon. "'If it behaves in a way that I think a human should, "'then I'm prepared to accept it as one of us. "'If it doesn't, then I'll consider my options.' "'Her passion surprised her. "'The man had touched a nerve, that was clear.' And in the process, uncovered a deeper motivation than she had suspected. Not for revenge or retribution or justice, but to ensure a moral and ethical framework over the civilization to which she was proud to belong. She hadn't known her motives could be so cerebral. Perhaps she'd been hanging out with the exarchs for too long. With gentle surges, the deck rocked slowly beneath them. The sun was gone. There would be no stars through the planet's cloud cover. The small crowd was ignoring the view anyway. The burly man glowered at her, stein-lowered and dripping. He seemed to have realised who she was, finally, perhaps alerted by someone else in the crowd via silent, wireless communication or in receipt of a search engine result based on her face. "'You would think that,' said the man with a sneer. "'You and your freak friends. How long until they turn on us, too?' "'How long... excuse me,' she said, feeling real rage beginning to creep over her. "'My freak friends, as you call them, are doing their best to give you space to live.' Soul is evolving whether you like it or not. The vanguard of human evolution is stretching further beyond us every day. How long do you think it would take before that vanguard forgot where it came from and wiped you out as casually as you'd eradicate an infection? By reminding it now the obligations it holds to us, to the name human, we hope to avoid a tragedy far greater than anything you care to comprehend. If you can't or won't face that fact, then you are as bad as Sol. Slip back into the past, rush headlong into the future. Either way, the present is lost. She turned and walked away, not caring if it looked like retreat. The argument was simultaneously pointless and utterly pivotal to the future of the arc circuit. She couldn't win it on her own, no matter how much she shouted, and persisting with it would only make her more upset than she already was. It dredged up, not grief over sublime, but reminded her of more distant upsets, those relating to her decision to become a palmer when, against the wishes of her family on Eliza, she had volunteered for the Guild and accepted the necessary modifications. If she wanted to travel in space, that was simply part of the deal. Humans could terraform planets, they could build habitats to keep out what they could not change, but travelling through space at speed presented hazards that could be avoided only by changing people themselves. Faced with the immovable object of high-energy physics, the momentous principles of natural humanity were bound to lose. The wedge her decision drove between her loved ones persisted for decades, reinforced by relativistic lags and long absences. Her parents became strangers to her, her home faded from memory. The trip to Sublime with her sister had been the first opportunity to connect one-on-one for longer than she cared to remember. The Sublime catastrophe had severed the last link she had with family. Since then, she had known only the ache of its absence. And now this pompous fool tried to make out that she and her fellow Palmers and the Exarchs weren't legitimate humans, a statement that carried a burden of sinister implications. They didn't feel, they didn't love, they didn't care what happened to anyone different from themselves. The fact of the matter was that anyone not of natural stock was more likely, not less, to care about those different to them. After all, humanity followed its own evolution now. The random currents of genetics had been abandoned for more purposeful means of development. A willingness to change, and to accept change in others was unavoidably part of that process. People didn't have to work hard to be a natural, they were born that way. Resenting those who were sometimes forced not to be that way was just stupid, but it seemed hardwired in some. Resentment so easily became fear, and fear curdled almost immediately into hate. Horsfall went back to her stateroom and shut the door behind her. She stood for a long moment without turning on the light, a slightly improved version of the human animal with shaking hands and tears on her cheeks. Was there an emotional equivalent to high-energy physics? Could she have her genome rewritten in order to survive such trauma? "'Don't be angry with him,' whispered the voice that had been mercifully silent through the confrontation. "'Let time prove him wrong.' "'Is he so wrong?' Horsful asked, putting into words the one doubt she couldn't bring herself to admit in public. "'Couldn't this be the end for natural humanity if things go badly?' Elderton laughed. You'd find it easier, I think, to wipe out the cockroach or the common cold virus. Is that how you think of naturals? As pests? As disease? No. As parts of nature. We can live with them well enough, even enjoy their company. Naturals are much more interesting than viruses or insects. To you, maybe, but what about the archon, or what comes after it? The pyramid analogy is a good one. For all the billions of naturals that exist today, there are about a 100,000 Palmas, a 1,000 Exarchs, and one Archon. There's room for everyone, and no reason to despair. Not now, perhaps, but what about later? We have enough to worry about at the moment, Elderton said. Let's deal with the future when it comes. After all, if we lose here, you and I might not have one. That was a sobering thought. Whatever happened to humanity in the long run, Horsful and her ghostly companion were on the front line. If anyone was going to die in the war, sectarian or not, it would most likely be them. You said once that, whatever happened, you wanted to keep the natural body count low in this war. Still without turning on the light, Horsfall walked to the bed and lay flat on her back, staring up at the darkness. I see why now. That would motivate people for the wrong reasons, because it's not about the Archon killing naturals. It might have been easier that way, but it would have been wrong. Yes, the end's... Do not justify the means. Horseful nursed her grief and anger, branded deep into the muscle of her heart, and wondered what the alien architects of Geodesica would think of her species' hapless, fumbling at greatness. Do you think we'll ever sort ourselves out? Horseful's question hung in the darkness of the room for a disturbingly long time. Elderton didn't always respond when she called, but this time the silence went deeper than just an absence of noise. Elderton's voice wasn't the only thing missing. "'Hello?' "'Please don't be frightened,' said someone out of the darkness. "'I mean you no harm.' "'Horseful jumped and reached mentally for the light. "'It flashed on, filling the room with a warm yellow glow. "'The stateroom wasn't ostentatious, consisting of the bed, a small desk and armchair, "'and an antique 3D entertainment facility. "'The wood panelling hid steel, carbon composite walls "'that could form an airtight seal in the event of emergency.' Nanotech atmosphere reprocessors, not dissimilar to those in a Palmer cell, could keep her alive for weeks, even at the bottom of the ocean until rescue came. This was a very different sort of emergency. A man sat in the armchair in the corner of the stateroom opposite her bed. Light gleamed off his smooth, bald scalp. He wore a sharp-lined grey suit and had the air of someone who had been sitting for some time. His hands lay folded in his lap. His feet angled slightly apart. His posture was very slightly slumped. Horsfall recognised him. That was the strangest thing. Even as thoughts of assassination flashed through her mind, she searched her memory and came up with a name. Palmer Flast? I merely and temporarily inhabit this body. The voice, issuing from Flast's full-lipped mouth, possessed a measured calmness out of all keeping with the situation. You do not know me, except by my actions. She frowned. A powerful handgun rested in the top drawer of her bedside table. She backed away from him, opened the drawer and raised the weapon between them. Flast didn't try to stop her. What did you do to Jane? I put her away for a while so we can talk uninterrupted. If you've hurt her, I assure you that I haven't. Flast's expression was neutral. Horsfall felt nothing but relief at that. To see him express a false emotion or to watch as one was thrust forcibly through him would be physically upsetting. I am the Archon, voice said through Flast's lips. I was beginning to figure as much. She kept the gun carefully beaded on his chest for all the good it would do her if the Archon attacked. The last time she had seen Flast in Megrez over a cup of coffee, the former chief officer of the Nullenboy had been well and perfectly himself. He had been considering retiring from the trade lanes and moving into the diplomatic arm of the Guild. The Palmers, although they secretly allied themselves with the rebels, had never quite given up the hope of striking a new deal with both Sol and the Alliance. War for them was ever a last resort. When did you get to him? She asked. How long has he been spying for you? He isn't a spy. He doesn't even know I'm here, and he won't unless you tell him. I chose Palmer Flast because it was convenient, and because I knew I could get to you through him. What do you want with me? Merely to talk. I felt the need to meet you. I made Isaac and Jane who they are. Them I understand completely. You, I only know from afar. It seemed wrong to be so ignorant under the circumstances. No. Flast's right hand rose at the whim of invisible puppet strings. Not wrong. Disrespectful. She eyed him wearily. If you think you're going to change my mind, I neither need nor want to. Change it or fuck with it amounts to the same thing. Don't believe for a moment that it will alter what's coming your way. I don't believe it. The cool eyes regarded her for a long moment. Understand, Palmer Horseful, that I could have attained the data I needed long ago without revealing my presence to you... Just as I could have quashed this rebellion of yours within moments of its inception. My being here now should tell you something about me and my motives. It could tell me that you're lying. I'm not. She hesitated, not remotely sure what to make of the encounter. Her hand didn't tremble as she aimed the gun at the man in the chair, but inside she felt a boil with emotions. Fear, resentment, uncertainty, even guilt for not seeing something like this coming. She should have something witty to say, if nothing else. You're much shorter than I expected. The Archon laughed, which startled her. Palmer Horsfall, you are everything I expected. Her eyes narrowed. Meaning what? Meaning that I'm proud of you. You are a fine example of the humanity you serve. Now I know you're fucking with me. I assure you again that I am not. Well, I don't need your approval. We're on different sides, remember? You might think so, but I disagree. I just imagined those Reapers then? No, they were real enough. I should shoot you and kill an innocent man? If you were willing to make that sacrifice, you would already have done so. She felt her ears beginning to redden. Don't assume this makes us allies. You should be glad I don't think of us as enemies, Palmer Horsfall. Flast's features were grimly neutral again. Do believe me when I tell you that I could stop you in your rebellion any time I chose, just as I could have killed you the moment you walked in the door. Like you, I don't want to cause unnecessary loss of life. Destroying the arc circuit will only inflame the rest of the Exarchate, and I have no wish to see this grand venture end in ashes. It's too important to the future of our species. Spare me the rhetoric. I mean every word. No death at any scale should be taken lightly. I kill only in moments of absolute necessity. That's a hoary old excuse. It's never been convincing, and I'm not falling for it now. "'You wrong me, Palmer Horsful, and your hands are as bloody as mine. "'The people who died when you gained control of this colony "'were only a small percentage of its total population. "'Exactly the same can be said of the deaths resulting from my actions "'in terms of the Exarchate as a whole. "'We are exactly the same, you and I. "'The only difference between us is the scale on which we're working.' "'I am nothing like you,' she glared at the shell of Palmer Flast "'and wished that she did have the capacity to shoot him "'just to bring the conversation to an end.' If such a crude action could kill the Archon, she might consider it. But there was no point wishing for yet more dreadful choices. "'I want you to leave,' she said, lowering the gun and edging off the bed. She stood with her back against the wall, furthest from the door, not wanting to come any closer to Flast's possessed shell than she had to. "'Leave now, or I'll raise the alarm and someone else can deal with you.' Flast's body didn't move, but his sensual mouth pursed. "'Is there nothing you want to ask me?' "'No. This opportunity may never be repeated.' I don't care, get out. Flast unfolded with a rustle of fabric and stood calmly before her, to all appearances an ordinary palmer, but one filled with an intelligence that she felt uncomfortable thinking of as even remotely human, for all her protestations earlier. Jane Elderton told you a moment ago that the ends don't justify the means. It said, I'm afraid I disagree. Every action has a price. Sometimes we don't see that price, or we do, but we choose not to care about it. Sometimes the benefits and costs are difficult to fathom, especially over longer timescales and in complex chaotic systems. I tell you now that the cost of not acting in Sublime far exceeded the damage caused by the catastrophe. Even when you add the deaths of the bedlam and familiar colonies and the lives lost during your rebellion and the war to come, deaths I feel as keenly as you. The cost of not acting is still higher. You may disagree. In fact, I expect you to. You do not know the ends towards which the architects of Sol are working. Without knowing those ends, how can you judge us for our means? Your ends are not ours, she said. That's the problem. You don't even know that. Only time will tell, Palmer Horsfall. I hope that one day you will come to see that you have judged us falsely. She thought of her sister. There isn't enough time in the universe for that to happen. Again, I disagree. The future of the human race itself is at stake. It is perhaps a future beyond your present comprehension, but the war will gain you one thing beyond doubt, and that is a new perspective. When you see what you have been risking, you will understand me better. Flast's head inclined in the faintest of bows. Goodbye, Palmer Horsfall. She watched him go, hatred and resentment surging through her tissues. The words she said earlier on the deck of the ship came back to her again. Anger she had felt at those fearful of people who were different— Undercut her automatic distrust of the Archon. It had, after all, come just to talk to her and done her no harm. She rubbed her arms, feeling goose flesh, unless she thought it had hurt her, and she simply hadn't noticed. A shuttle engine whined out on the deck. The hull kicked slightly beneath her feet, then resumed its normal, gentle rolling. She found it odd that the ship moved as it traveled. The water brushing against its hull was nothing compared to the powerful impacts of atoms between the stars. Yet in her Palmer cell, she could seem to float in perfect vacuum isolated from every outside influence. A longing for the dark struck her then. She wanted to leave Prime One and put the rebellion behind her. The fight truly was only beginning. She didn't know when peace might come if ever. That thought utterly exhausted her. For the first time, she regretted the promise she had extracted from the Exarchs to keep her alive long enough to see the end of the war. A century of anticipation had so easily been outweighed by a year or two of conflict. "'You're very quiet,' said Elderton into her mind." She looked down at the gun in her hand. Had the exarch seen nothing? I'm tired. You'd better rest, then. A sense of calm suffused her, and she marvelled at the ease with which her mind and body could be manipulated. But she didn't fight it. That would serve no purpose. I feel like... She put the gun away and lay back on the bed. Prime One is secure. I want to move on, find something constructive to do elsewhere. Eliza, perhaps, if we're still struggling in that quarter of the arc circuit. I'm treading water here. And afraid I might sink. "'We can do that, if you wish.' Elderton's voice whispered softly around her thoughts, as intimate as a lover's embrace. "'Conditions are safer here, I thought you might want to break from the fighting.' "'No, I don't want to be safe. I want to see firsthand what we've done.' "'Very well. I will make arrangements immediately.' Horsfall killed the lights and closed her eyes. "'Thank you.' She never told Jane Elderton about her encounter with the Archon, although it ate at her in moments of doubt. What if the Archon had seeded her with spyware? What if it took her over as it had Parmaflast and made her into an unwitting traitor? But she watched herself closely for any signs of betrayal and saw none. It was easier to parcel up the experience and put it away, even if she couldn't entirely forget it, than to confess to her minders. The civil war might have started early, but its end was nowhere in sight. Slightly more than one year after the encounter, a force loyal to Sol swept into Prime 1 and engaged the anti-retaliation defences installed in the system by Admiral Bernard and the Alliance. The skirmish was protracted and bloody. 30,000 people perished over six weeks. Unlike the Reapers, this force consisted of vessels constructed and piloted by ex-Arcate citizens from outside the Arc Circuit, who had come to defend the greater empire against insurgency from within. The archon had nothing to do with it, except as a distant symbol of good or evil, depending on the side one took. When the rubble dispersed, control of Prime was split between loyalist forces on the main colony and rebellion installations throughout the system. A bitter guerrilla war waged by both sides looked likely to seethe for decades. Palmer Horsful received the news in the Farafangana, en route to Shilla's end. She felt instantly guilty that she hadn't stayed, even though she knew there was little she could have done. This wasn't likely to be the only clash between loyalist and rebel forces. She couldn't be present at all of them. But still she wept for the peaceful, cloud-clad world that had reminded her of Sublime and for the many people who had lost loved ones like her. Already she could see what the Archon had meant by gaining a new perspective. She wondered what it would be like on Earth to look up and see the flames of revolt licking from star to star until the whole sky was consumed by fire. Terra Incognita Terra Incognita,
0: fiction. Fiction. Tara fiction. Tara Tara incognita, incognita Reviews. This month's review is Chaos Space, Book 2 of The Sentience of Orion by Marianne DePierce. Chaos Space picks up where Book 1 Dark Space left off, with Mira Fedor, a eldest noblewoman and the only female character of the gene that allows a pilot to meld with the sentient biozone ship insignia having fled her besieged planet to get help. The book's very much character-driven, with no less than five main protagonists, including Mira, Princip Chin Pellegrini, Wastel's son of Araldus's ruler, now struggling to keep those who survived the alien attack alive in the barren hinterlands of his world, Thales, hopelessly principled philosopher, who's out of his depth on his home planet, let alone cast amongst the Byzantine goings-on of Orion space, Jojo Rasterovich, semi-legitimate prospector who's been imprisoned, and now seeks bloody revenge on godhead Tecton, and Tecton himself, the scheming architect who will lay waste the planets to beat the competition for the favours of a godlike being known as the Soul Entity. You may think keeping so many characters up in the air and driving the plot forward would be nearly impossible to sustain, but the fact is, this is a beautifully plotted full on action ride with gorgeous twists nice time shifts between the different plot threads and a host of engaging coincidences that combine to throw our protagonists together in dazzling set pieces that leave you breathless and eager to turn the next page. The characters are complex, earthy, humorous and infinitely believable. The situations are richly described and the coincidence is ultimately forgivable when you realise anything that the godlike soul entity has a tentacle in is probably less coincidence and more obscurely godlike plan. The book ends with a lovely setup for more of the same in book three and what I suspect is going to be a deeply satisfying payoff. Marianne has really hit her straps with this one and you should make sure that you don't miss out. Four and a half stars. Chaos Space, book two of The Sentience of Orion by Marianne de Piers, is published in Australia by Orbit Books. You have been listening to Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction Podcast. Visit tisf.com.au for links to the featured authors' websites and for details of their publications. Stories are copyright by the author. Book reviews are copyright Keith Stevenson 2009. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 Australian license. See our website for details. Please tune in next month for another podcast of the best Australian speculative fiction read by the authors who created it.